Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My guest today is Lauren Mann, the inspiring and straight-talking broadcaster, presenter, writer, campaigner, and digital personality. She was one of the hosts of the hugely successful BBC podcast, You, Me, and the Big C, alongside Rachel Bland and Dame Deborah James. She is the founder of Girl vs. Cancer, a charity collective that campaigns for cancer awareness, and the story of her breast cancer diagnosis and recovery has been optioned to be made into a TV programme. Lauren was born in West London and went on to study at London College of Fashion, where she earned a BA in fashion management. She worked as a social media strategist and marketing specialist for a variety of fashion brands, including Radley, Warehouse, Sophia Webster and the Arcadia Group, before her life changed in 2016 when she was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 31. In the last five years, Lauren has campaigned tirelessly to raise awareness, raise funds and bring a new tone to the conversations people have around and about cancer and her work is really paying off. In 2019, she was awarded Inspirational Founder of the Year at the Stylist Live Retail Awards, the Triumph Award at the inaugural Stylist Remarkable Woman Awards in the same year and the Future Dreams Humanitarian Award, which was presented by Elizabeth Hurley, as well as taking home a Podcast Champion Award at the British Podcast Awards in 2022. To know Lauren is to feel loved by Lauren, and to know Lauren is to love Lauren. Lauren, it is such a pleasure to welcome you to the Emma Gunn Show. Oh my God, that last line is so lovely. Oh my God, I'm going to get towed on my lower back. Well, thank you <laughs> you're so welcome but it's true oh may that is such a lovely thing to say you Love are you. one of the most loving um supportive you are the person who i always say she will tell you that she loves you when she says goodbye and she really means it oh i do i, t- I yeah yeah i won't tell you i love you if i don't love you <laughs> facts <laughs> You're not fake. I'm, that is, I don't know how to be. <laughs> You're no fake asshole. I am not a fake asshole. That's one thing. Thanks, Em. <laughs> You're very welcome. Okay, so we are um, we're going to have a conversation about how you have navigated the tough stuff, mm-hmm. how you have got through challenges, obstacles, whether you enjoy your successes, all of those things. But I was very aware when I was writing mm. that introduction that I am mentioning people and things. Mm-hmm that are probably traumatic Mm -hmm. and as your friend but also as an interviewer I wonder if that is territory that you want to continue to talk about Mm. I haven't had this conversation with you but I wonder Mm. but I'm getting a sense from the little that we've Mm. spoken before this I wonder if it's time for Lauren to emerge 
away from yeah. the past narrative? I feel like if it's in right context and if it's anecdotal, I'm happy because it's part of who I am, everything that's happened. But I've talked about the how I got diagnosed with cancer. I've talked about losing Rachel. I've talked about losing Deb. I've talked about a lot of things in depth. And I think you'll get so much more from me on this podcast if it's something people haven't heard before. Exactly. Which is why I wanted to say <laughs> that I don't particularly want to go there. Okay, darling. Well, yeah, honestly, thank you. But if it comes up, like, because it's, it's, if it's like context and it's experience, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about it in that respect. But yeah, you don't need me telling the story of how I got diagnosed with cancer for the 100,000th mm-hmm. time. And the other thing I would say in knowing you mm-hmm. is that I've probably had... I don't know how many, but I've had lots of conversations mm. with you offline that haven't mm. been recorded and we never talk about we don't. anything to do with that. Yeah, we just don't. And I have really felt a responsibility today to um, honour those parts of you that perhaps don't get seen as much. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So before we begin, and I mm. like to uh, open the show with asking people what their relationship is like with risk, but... We have both talked about our 2022 and you just said something brilliant there about how you're growing out your hair. Yeah. yeah. Because and you because you want to see a change. So yeah. talk to me about that because I think that's fascinating. Well, I just feel like I'm in a I realized, okay, after Deb died and in that grieving period coming up to the back end of last year, there was a moment where I sat there and I was like, I don't feel like someone recovering from cancer. I feel like me. And that was the moment I was like, okay, this is a new chapter and I need to step into that. And, you know, a little bit of it is the physical. So like my Demi Moore crop that I've had, I had it before I got sick. Then I grew my hair out. Then found out I had cancer. I had to chop it all off again. It was very inconvenient. (laughs) And then I had it. It's kind of been my trademark. But I just kind of, you know, I'm trying to live a bit of a softer life now and an easier, gentler, more balanced life. And I think I want a softer, more gentler haircut. And yeah, like I just want to be able to look in the mirror and when I see photos, when I look back in another 10 years time, I'll be able to see, oh, that was that part of my life. Mm. Does that make sense? Completely. And actually, it's weird you say that because I've always kept my hair colour the same Mm. and I wanted to change it for that reason Mm. so that I can look back and I and it sounds so weird Mm. but so I can look back and think oh I know that that hair color change came with wanting to make really good decisions for me yeah and so yeah it was like a it's a bookmark a visual bookmark yeah it is and just like a moving on and to try something different and like it's almost like a shedding of skin like Mm. you know what I mean so you know if I don't like it I'd cut it back off to my little a little Demi Moore or could be more Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber, depending on what day you find me. <laughs> no, that doesn't depend on what day I find. That depends on who you go and get it done with. Yes, so fair. fair enough. We need to make sure that you have a great stylist who does take you more down the sort of Demi yes. route. Yes. Than the Because I does that mean that your Instagram bio is going to change and it's not going to be oh, hair like thought, Demi? I've thought about this a lot, babe. Dyer. I've thought about this a lot. I'm going to have to change it. I'm a bit gutted. I'll, I'll find a way. You know, you know I've got away with words. I'll find a way. You'll find a way. You'll find a new, a new. Yeah, a new person to reference. <laughs> or just something completely new entirely. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <gasps> Imagine that. Brand new start. So is it, so just. Leaning into that a little bit, you also talked about your almond-shaped nails. Yes. So is this not just about the hair? Is this about being 
something that you couldn't be five years ago or is this I don't know the armor shaped nails to be honest I have to give credit to Lucy at Chatsworth Road Nails <laughs> the nail room Z5 <laughs> she's amazing so she'd be doing my nails forever and I always have them squared off because I just assumed that they were weak and she said no I think we should keep them almond because they keep chipping at the sides and I, this is like my second manicure and you can see the length of them mm. with and that's my natural nails so I was like well this looks good and feels nice and I like to scratch myself with them <laughs> so I just thought it's a change I, the nails thing was like it's just a weird thing I've never to me armor shaped nails have always seemed very feminine mm. and I don't see myself as like a girly girl but actually I do feel like a sexy woman so that I'm loving the armor shaped nails a sexy woman they're the kind of nails Emma that you would see in certain content been scratched down someone's back you know that's the vibe <laughs> right you know you okay know? <laughs> well I, I like them very much Thanks. and I think you've chosen a beautiful manicure okay so let's lean into it talk to me about your relationship with risk how would you describe your relationship with risk until I got cancer I was very very risk averse you're talking to a girl who can barely ride a bike you're talking to a girl who is not the best swimmer because I was terrified of being underwater um I didn't really like change and yeah, well, I've just passed my driving test this week. I saw. Third time's a charm. Third time's a charm. So I never learned to drive or anything. I just like was like, oh, don't can't be bothered to risk it. Oh, like what if something bad happens? Mm. And then I think you know I've spoken quite openly about hitting the fuck it button when you get when I got diagnosed, and then in my recovery, I kind of just started going for things that I wanted more and more. And I think. Part of that is my relationship with risk. It's like, what is the risk? If it's a risk to my well-being, someone I love's well-being, their feelings, like health, life or death, obviously I'm not going to risk it. But when it comes to things in life and going for things, there's no risk, there's no reward. And if the risk means, oh, I fail and I might be like, oh God, I'll be disappointed or, you know, my heart might be a little bit hurt or I might be a little embarrassed, that's fine. <laughs> like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Oh, I feel mm. a bit embarrassed. Mm. Mate, I do that for fun every day. I embarrass <laughs> myself every day. So it's like, for me, my relationship with risk has changed um, over time. And now I do kind of go, you know, I would never jeopardise my, like, security in terms of, like, my home and, mm. like, anything like that. But if it's, I'm just going to give that a go. Yeah. I, I'm willing to, like, risk spending time or a little bit of money on something if I want to give something a try so before when you said that you were a bit more risk averse mm. and I definitely am somebody who by nature is mm. risk averse so I can really identify with mm. what we're saying I could always find a reason not to do something oh yeah yeah and I think where I got to and actually it was quite a dark realization it really it kind of did pull me into the depths a bit mm. I realized how life limiting it was and so I wasn't living my life fully 100% I felt really guilty. <laughs> you felt guilty? Yeah. To like younger Emma. Yeah. Or all that, because you're not living life fully, you feel bad because so many people want to be living their life fully. There's that. It's multi-layered, mm. but I think definitely, I think as well, reaching mid forties as well, mm. realizing that there are some prime years that perhaps weren't used to their best potential. But mate, I think that's everyone. You know, when I think about, you know, I'm 38 this year. And when I think back to 31-year-old Lauren, she had 18 months worth of like active, intense treatment. Then obviously the first two years out of that are quite 
intense because you're recovering, your body's recovering, you're adapting. Then we went into a pandemic. Like, I feel like I've lost the chunk of my 30s, mm. but I... But I'm never hitting them back, so I just don't think about it. I'm just like, well, I've just got to live bigger and badder now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I understand that a little bit. But I think also, like, you've lived your life how you've needed to live until this point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I look back when I was younger and I'd be, like, annoyed at myself that I didn't learn to swim. And I'm annoyed at myself that, like, I just didn't get on a bike and be a bit more confident. But it was always because I was scared of hurting myself or something bad would happen to me. Yeah. And I've realised that was because of a lot of other trauma I had when I was younger and I was scared of death and all these things. So, you know, having gone through the mire of cancer, you come out the other end, you go, I'm going to learn to drive because mm. I've always wanted to drive. And if I don't learn, then I never will. Um, what a waste. So my next thing now is to do my adult swimming lessons. <gasps> By my 40th birthday, I want to jump off of a boat into the ocean, into open water. That's what I want to do. I've always wanted to do it. Do you know where you want to do that? Somewhere very exotic. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I genuinely would. Like, I want to go away for my 40th birthday anyway, but I just have this thing of I've always with my friends, whatever, I always go on holiday, but I'm the one bobbing around in the water in my little life jacket. Like, Ooh. Can't like really keep up with everyone. And it's like, I want to do my, that freeing thing I see my friends do of like jumping off a boat into water and just swimming mm. and being completely free. Like to mm. me, that is freedom. That is weightlessness. That is just giving over. I want that. So I could, I can breaststroke if I can touch the ground of a pool, I can like swim, but it's not being able to touch the ground. Like fear again kicks yeah. in. Mm -hmm. But what I've realized is I'm in control. Unless I'm going into choppy seas, I'm in control. Mm -hmm. So if I could just get my head over that barrier now and learn to tread water and just build my confidence, build my confidence, I'll be able to do it without a doubt. So yeah, that's the next challenge. Mm. I think you're going to smash it. Me too, because... <laughs> Why not? Like, it's your it's mind over matter, you know? You've just got to do it. Mm. Literally throw yourself in at the deep end. <laughs> Quite literally. Quite literally. No, I said I felt guilty, and then I kind of think I maybe gave the impression that I'm a sort of a what-ifer, and actually I'm not. I really mm. hate the idea of thinking what-if, because mm. what's the point in thinking like mm. that? There's nothing you can yeah. do. You can't change it. But it seems as though you are definitely, you have a perspective on mm. how you want to live moving forward that yeah. has been informed by some challenges mm -hmm. and that is and that perspective is very much like I'm going to grab every opportunity I can yeah oh, but also funnily enough I've learned that I used to be I'm going to grab every opportunity I can and it burnt me out so much all the time oh. boom and bust boom and bust so I had this thing in my head like I have to grab this opportunity because life's too short and what if I die tomorrow I'd regret that blah 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 now I literally sit there and I go okay so I'm doing this and I'm doing this that's great too but do you know what it's not the right time I'll push that back because all of a sudden I've allowed myself to believe I've got a future, which I didn't for a long time during my recovery. I was so scared that it was coming back to kill me. And obviously, especially when you've got people that you love around you dying as a result of the same disease that you had in your body, it's hard not to live in that reality. I know by any means think, oh my God, I would never get sick again. Like just because I've had cancer doesn't mean bad things don't happen again. However, I just don't live in that reality anymore. I don't let my brain go there. If it happens, it happens. But if it happens and I've wasted years, been scared of it happening, I've wasted so much time and energy. Mm. So the opportunities thing, I had to really have a word with myself because, I mean, we've had so many conversations um, about me burning out. Mm. I, I just, yeah, I just used to boom and bust constantly. Now I feel much more comfortable and confident going, I'm choosing this opportunity over this one. Mm -hmm. And if this one's meant for me, it will come back around at the right time. Um, I guess, guess that's kind of risk as well, isn't it? Mm. I don't know about you, but I think, I wonder whether you might be someone who, 
waits for somebody to give you permission to do, but also gives you permission to stop. That's my problem. Oh my God. So I, I love that example. Are we in therapy? Uh, my <laughs> Get sister, comfortable. comfortable. My sister, I will ring my sister up um, and I will say to my sister, I need you to give me permission. What? Well, I, I don't want to go to this thing, but I feel like I should because of this, but I don't want to go because I'm tired and I've had this, this and this. And she'll go, well, don't go then. She went, no one's going to mind. You know, you're in your own head more than anyone else. It's so weird that I have to make that call. Mm. It's always my mum or my sister. I will ring them and go, I need you to give me permission to not do this. Never afford to do anything. Oh, so you don't need permission to do? No, I do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more... I the, the, the emotional part of my brain... I'm a Libra moon, if anyone likes astrology. So like I'm always weighing things up. So I'm very empathetic. So I'm always like, well, that's what I want to do. But oh God, what? what I don't want let anyone down. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's it's just something I'm getting better at doing myself. And because you know, your gut knows what you want to do, and what's the right choice for you. But sometimes I need to verbalize it and almost kind of go into that childlike state where you're like, Jesus, take the wheel. One of you decide <laughs> for me. Um so yeah, I do. I ask my mum and sister's permission to not do things quite often. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the risk that you took. So this yeah. is something that you did do. So you you said that actually one of your biggest risks, and you were you had a great career yeah. as a social media and marketing specialist yeah. and strategist. Yeah. And you just you decided to leave it. I did. And that was a big, big, bold move. Yeah, it was. I, I think I've always known in some level that I I always wanted to work for myself. And I went freelance in my mid-20s and did it completely the wrong time because I just was in a world of mental health and mental illness, like bad, like confusing times. Did you so know like, at the time? Nah, not in hindsight now. Like I I look back now and go, oh yeah, well, obviously. Mm. But at the time I was like, oh, I felt like a failure. I felt like I couldn't apply myself to things. There was all these different things I felt about myself. Now I know myself better. And since I've worked for myself, look what I've been able to achieve. Mm. It's because I have autonomy. I was never meant to work in a nine-to-five office job. I, I need creative freedom and I need to be able to focus my energies on things that really passionately excite me because that is where you're going to get the best of me. And I actually, I found that I could put all the same skill set that I had in those jobs into working in the cancer community and mm. doing things that excite me in that way. So, yeah, it was hard because I'd just gone back to my job at Radley and I was there part time and the whole team had changed. All my friends had left in that time period. Um, like all the correct because I did. Um, social media but it kind of sat more in the e-com team that, that by that point I was like I'm not really like an I'm more of a creative like I love the analytics but I need someone to just give me the data mm. and go this is what we found and then I can go off and create it for that I don't need to be doing the reports that's not the way my mind right. thrives like mm. you're going to get nothing out of me in fact you're just going to get me sat in front of a spreadsheet for half the day like oh my god like, I can't do it yeah um, your heart rate's just going to slow down I just and I lose complete interest yeah. and I don't do the job and then I get disciplinaries because I'm not pulling my weight <laughs> like that's that is the story of my life my whole employment history has been me going we've noticed this, like I remember one job I had <laughs> where I was so bored again because it was like I've been doing social media but it got kept getting put into e-com because they were trying it was back in the day when social media you were trying to prove the value of it we a very different <laughs> right. time now so yeah, we talk yeah. about eight years ago mm. and I was so bored because I was like this isn't what I want to do I want to do like creative I want to do like copy I want to do all these things um and so I like started off my back when I was a blogger like Somerset House walking the cobbles like snap me in my 
alternative outfit, which wasn't the same as everyone else's. Um, you know the kind. <laughs> I was like, yes, I remember these. Um, and I was just, ed- I was there building a blog, building my own blog at work. And I got caught twice. And then I got pulled in the office and told off. But I look back now and I can laugh at it. But back then I was really upset with mm. myself. Because I was like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just apply myself? Mm. And I just know I can't. I just can't. Like if it's not something, all of those kind of roles were completely antithesis of what I should have been doing. Um, and I'm really proud that I know that now because of the work I've done on myself, mm. um, that I can see it for what it is. Because obviously it's quite damaging to your self-esteem if you just think you're shit. Mm. And with the job, I went back and I was, I kind of knew, like I put all my heart and energy into creating Girl vs. Cancer. I was doing the podcast. Things were going well. And I, I could feel the excitement in me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm good at this. Mm. So for the first time, in years, I still can remember, I'm like, I'm good at what I'm doing. So I was back at Radley and that was kind of like paying bread and butter, paying my rent, but I wasn't enjoying it. And then the podcast was picking up and Girl vs. Cancer stuff was picking up. And I was like, oh God, like I can't balance all of this. So what I actually initially did was I left my job, but then I went into freelance doing social media for a charity, which we've both worked with, the Eva Pill. Oh, amazing. So I went over and worked with the Eva Pill for a bit and that kind of made sure that I had that constant mm-hmm. like cash flow coming in because I was doing consultancy work. But again, I soon found out, I was like, I just need to be doing my own thing. So it was a bit of a stepping stone to complete mm. like the journey of going freelance. But it was a big risk because, you know, when you work for yourself, you've got no one to pick up the slack if you don't. You know, there's peaks and troughs when it comes to finances coming in. So you never really feel financially secure. Mm. You've got to go out and hustle and get the jobs. You've got to really like back yourself and champion yourself and put yourself out of your comfort zone a lot. There's a lot of imposter syndrome. So there's a lot of stuff that goes with it. But, you know, I'm like, I think it's five years in April mm. that I went and started working for myself and I've got, I live on my own. I've got my dog. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I've, I'm doing, I've got a roof over my head and I've done that all on my own. I'm really proud of that. So yeah, it was a big risk, but a massive reward. It's amazing what you've done. It really is incredible Thanks, what you've Bobs. done. And I think as well, one might think that post-treatment, the burden of financial responsibility mm. would be something that would be easier to mm. uh, have a company deal with Yeah, and not have the buck stop with you. Yeah, no, my brain, <laughs> it, like it, my mental well-being and like you know how precious your time is after you've been through trauma it doesn't have to be cancer but a lot of people will go through something it's normally a loss or a health scare that mm. will put you in that position where you're like oh my goodness like time is so precious and I think going back into that work and sitting there and giving so much of myself over to people who don't appreciate it you're just a payroll number you're lying mm. in someone else's pocket mm. when actually the work I was doing on the other side was helping people I wasn't earning very much but I was earning enough to like survive and that was never the reason I wanted to do it anyway so I'm like if I'm gonna work for to live for money's sake I'd rather be doing working 10 times harder being paid less because I love it mm. and then the payoff feels kind of equal so yeah it's it's the bravest thing I've done proudest thing I've done um and I, sometimes I wish oh maybe I should have gone freelance earlier but no it, it was the right time it was the perfect time it's what if again isn't it it's like yeah. well you didn't so but I, I tried it and I was rubbish <laughs> because I didn't have to do anything so me and my mate used to go down the pub and I like, have lunches end up being boozy lunches I never did any work it's terrible oh, I think there's something <laughs> that when you enjoy the free and freelance 
when you first yeah. start. Yeah, you do. I do remember when I first went freelance, someone said to me, enjoy the free and freelance and go to the cinema in the at lunch times. And yeah. so as, a, as someone who likes to consider themselves creative, mm. if I do feel like I'm achieving nothing today, I will take myself to the cinema. And it's amazingly restorative mentally. Yeah. And I think I think it's how your brain's wired as well. Like sometimes I feel like I'll talk to my mum. My mum works in a school. So you've got very much like she gets up at six. She's in the school mm. at seven. She's got her working days. Um you know, yeah, they get the big holidays and whatever, but what have you. But because I don't have that structure, sometimes I feel like people think I just have a jolly and just float around. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, for me, I I have the very real privilege because of the career I've carved for myself that I can wake up three days out of seven and wake up and go, right, where am I at today? I feel a bit buzzy. Okay, I need to centre myself. I'm going to clean. I'm going to walk the dog. I'm going to do something before I sit down to my laptop or do mm. anything. Unless there's a deadline. There'll be days where I've got to be somewhere or be on a call or get some stuff over the line, of course. But there are those days where they're a bit more fluid. And actually, as someone who is an extrovert and gives so much of themselves over, those days are just as important to me. Mm. And I really value that I have the space and I really am grateful that I have the space to be able to do restore when I need to and that my days can look so different to anyone else's like I could sit down at my laptop at midday and be on it till like 10 o'clock at night mm. but that's my choice I also think you can't underestimate as well how much so I worked in an office for 10 years mm. busy magazine office and it was only when I went freelance that I realized I was probably doing in two hours what you would get done in a day mm -hmm. in an office because yeah. of the distraction because of the meetings because mm. of this but actually a solid this is, this is just basically an advert for freelancing. Yeah. But they realise that you can just actually just storm through your work. Yeah. It, it was a real learning curve for me yeah. when I went freelance 10 years ago, 11 yeah. years ago. Oh my God. Okay. Hey, it's amazing that you've done it. Like, But I just always think like props to people that do it. Like, I'm not saying that's everyone's idea of freedom and stuff. Like most people are just like, no, I know my job. I can go in, get it done. Mm. I love it, but I can leave it at the door and it pays well and all that jazz. But I just, yeah, I, I think back to the days when I worked in an office and my Lord, like chatting to your mates in the kitchen, making a cup of tea, all that, where actually is now my brain never switches off. There's always things going through my brain. I never leave work at the door. Mm. But what I have got better at is I did try to still do the nine to five thing as a freelancer. And I gave up that ghost <laughs> after the pandemic. I was like, what are you doing? Like, that's not how your brain even works. Mm -hmm. So stop trying to force yourself into this thing because when you don't, you're so much more productive. Yeah. When you actually go with where your head's at. Some days I wake up and like, right, I've got to do this financial thing. But my brain is not there, mate. I'm, I'm like, I want to make TikToks and I want to create some <laughs> content for socials. And I'm like, right, I'll just, that's push back then. Mm. I'll do this today. But what a lovely feeling to be able to work with your where your energy, yeah. yeah. What um, does this mean that you would be much less risk averse? That you, if something happened, you had to make a big decision, you would it would be a much quicker decision than perhaps I don't know if you dilly dallied over going freelance. Yeah, I did for ages. I think now I know myself. I think it's an age thing as well. Mm -hmm. But I think like now it's like right, I make a decision and I'm standing by it. Like I'll do it. And then if it's the wrong one, you live and you learn. I'm not afraid of making mistakes. The only time I'm afraid of failing or making a mistake is if it impacts and upsets anyone else. Mm. That's the only time I'd ever be afraid. If it's just going to impact me, I don't care. Like I'll give it a go. Like what's worst going to happen? I'm not going to die. Do you know what I mean? So mm. just, yeah, I'm much more, I'm able to make decisions a bit quicker now. Um, second to risk, I want to ask you about excuses. I think, I know I mm -hmm. make excuses because they put a bit of a comfortable 
buffer mm. between me and the thing that I should do, want to do, yeah. can't do, would like to try. Do you have excuses that show up in your world and maybe stand between you sometimes and taking action? Yeah, I too busy. Mm. Um things got in the way which to be fair some, a lot of time it does but there's also time where I what I do is when I know I've got something that I need to do that feels really big it almost paralyzes me mm. so I will do everything else like it's not uncommon for me to have cleaned my house from top to bottom rather than do the thing do you know what I mean <laughs> it's not uncommon for me to look at a cupboard and go that's messy and spend half a day clearing out and organizing that cupboard and I should have been doing what I was doing. It's like, because then I've been productive. So I get that dopamine hit of going, I've done that. Mm. But it's not the thing you should have been doing. Mm. So I always make excuses. Oh, I'm busy. Oh, I've got this suit. Da, da, da. It's, that's kind of the excuse I give myself. It's not great. <laughs> it's something I'm really working hard on is to try and kind of really carve out time. But I've realized that because my brain's that way, like if I'm at home, like I will make sure I clean my house on the weekends so I don't have an excuse in the week. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. otherwise I'll be like, oh, I'll just do this. Oh, I'll wash up. And like working out of home and stuff, I try and do a lot more mm. so that I can really focus. Yeah. Um, because I'm one of those, I'll be like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. I, I'm very highly functioning, but when it comes to the stuff that I really need to get over the line, it can sometimes feel so overwhelming that I just put off doing it. Yeah. Um, and then I'll just say, oh, it's because I've been busy. I call it skirting boards. Oh. Well, I know. That yeah. the thing I need to do that's really important is overwhelming me or yeah. is when I suddenly feel like my skirting boards look dustier than yeah. they should be. Because then I'm on hands and knees yeah. doing the skirting boards because that's because I am trying to put a space between me and the task that really needs to be done. Yeah, that's me. That is 100% me. Um, so that's what kind of my excuse is there. I, to be honest with you, I'm really good at holding myself accountable, I'll be mm. honest. I've done so much work over the years. And also, like, if someone has feedback for me, if I've been a dick or if I've done something or said something that's upset people, I will do my utmost to make amends and I'll I'll own it. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard sometimes to say you make excuse of yourself because I actually think I'm quite tough on myself in my head. I don't mm -hmm. let myself get away with much. Has anyone ever told you you've been a dick to them? I can't imagine it. Mm, probably my sister and my mum, but they're your family, so I probably was a dick to them. Because <laughs> you're always... If you're going to be a dick to anyone... It's it's those people close to you, right? But yeah, um, I yeah I don't really do excuses. I kind of more tell myself off and go fix up. Mm. So are you quite hard on yourself? Mm -hmm. Do you have to have you had to soften on mm. on yourself? Yeah, yeah. I always feel like I could be doing more. That I should be doing this. That I should. I get the shoulds a lot. Mm -hmm. The shoulds. Are the shoulds. I, if you tell me if I think I should do something, mm -hmm. I have to question it. Yeah, because should is worse to me than yeah the the word that no one yeah. says. But I I literally so this morning's a prime example. Sorry to any of the girls listening who have been interviewing for a social media position with me. This is all my fault. So like I've I'm here today. I'm dosed up on painkillers, but I've got I've had this horrible wisdom tooth pain. So yesterday I was like, right, I'm gonna sit down. I, I passed my driving test. Yes. Took myself straight off to the co-working space afterwards, sat myself down. I was like, right, let me get this brief together. And then my tooth started playing up. I was like, I'm 
agony. Kept trying to power through, had to do a call in another interview, did it. Sitting there, powerful, I was like, I'm in agony. I was like, I'll do it at home. Got home. Obviously, I'm in agony, took painkillers. Then you're all a bit floaty. Mm. So I was like, I'm doing it in the first thing in the morning. And then I woke up this morning and like, I had such bad pain. And I was, the thought of doing that task was so overwhelming. But then I was feeling guilt for not doing it. So I cleaned my house. <laughs> I cleaned all of the downstairs, cleaned out the fridge, all of that. And then I came out to meetings that I had this afternoon mm. when actually I could have just sat down and done it. And in my head, I should have sat down. But realistically, I'm like, I would have sat down and produced absolutely nothing of value because I couldn't focus. Mm. Whereas if I'm doing something physical with my hands and I'm I'm still being productive. But now I know tomorrow I'm not going to look at the house. I can sit down and actually bang it out after I've been to the dentist and sorted my mouth out. Yeah. But, um, and like, what's two days difference? Like, stop being so hard on yourself. You've been unwell. But I will tell myself that I'm shit. Mm. You're shit. You should have done that. You know, you said that you were going to have it ready by Monday. Now these girls will be expecting it. You let them down. That's shit behavior. It's like, fucking hell, mate. It's not that deep, is it? It's funny. I had uh, Gretchen Rubin on the podcast a few years ago, mm. and she talks about the four tendencies. And I've now completely, they've blanked from my brain, mm. but essentially it's how you respond to external and internal expectation. Oh. And I'm definitely somebody who would be more worried about external perception of expectations. So if I had said to somebody, I'm going to do this by such and such a time, mm. anything that was going on with me that potentially meant that I couldn't do it, I would override because I would be picture, almost picturing those people mm. at their computers thinking, she said she was going to get it at nine o'clock, get it to me at nine o'clock, it's 9.01 and nothing, she's lazy. And then I mm. start creating this mm. story that probably might, probably might not mm. have noticed. Yeah. People, like, that's the thing and it's like, it is what it is. Like, I know I say about excuses, but I have been busy. Do you know what I mean? And... It will get done and it will get done really well now because I've created the space. But I do, I just, I always feel like I should be doing more. Mm. There's all, and the thing is that it's a catch 22 with me because I am still at the phase of my charity where there is no team. Mm. I'm building one, but that in itself takes time. Mm -hmm. And I'm also trying to build my personal brand and like heal and grieve and be well in myself. Like it is hard to get everything done. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just me. Mm. I don't have anyone to delegate to now at the moment. So I have to go a bit easier on myself. I have to because it's like it's impossible for you to do all of those things. And when I did try and do those things, I made myself incredibly unwell and I burnt myself out time and time again. So it's almost like the fear of that burnout and the fear of feeling that overwhelmed and manic is way greater than like letting mm. myself or someone down in my mind. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I think when it comes to burnout as well, I don't know if you experienced mm. this, but I have been there too. And I look to the people around me and was almost like accusing them of like, why did you not stop this? How yeah, could you let yeah. this happen to me? How could you let me do this to myself? Mm. I, Before I fully recovered and like mm. got a grip on my mental health, I was really upset with the people mm. around me for not catching me before I... yeah. Like I really but fell. the thing is, people did. People said, you need to start, you're doing too much. Mm. Everyone used to laugh, oh, you're so busy. You've got so much on. I don't know how you do it. Mm. I kind of wore it as a badge of honor. I was like, yeah, I'm yeah. getting stuff done because it was validation. And I know that now. Mm. So it's like, I wasn't feeling great in myself. I was terrified. I had so much trauma going on. But if I could get that thing done, then I, I'm i winning. Mm. I, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm worth it. And it's just, I know so much more about myself now. I feel a much calmer place. But yeah, it's a funny thing the brain in it like I have to catch the voice sometimes I actually have to tell it to shut up a lot catch the voice by the throat and be like pipe down by the bowl bits (laughs) (laughs) swing it around the room you get out of here out the window (laughs) um I asked you what your the biggest obstacle is that you've had to overcome and you said self-sabotage which I guess yeah that is leans very neatly into what we've just been discussing literally I I will self-sabotage like and it's because again, it's the thought of doing something that feels so overwhelming that I'll just put things in place to make sure it doesn't happen. So, you know, this is a prime example that didn't work out. It ended up working out really, really well for me, but this is an example. So last year, March, I was at the start of the year, I knew I, like I needed to find new flatmates. Candace was moving back to her pub and I was like, right, I need a new flatmate. But I didn't want to get two, even though we had a three bed, because we'd been living just as two and we'd, I'd made an office room for us to work in. And I was like, no, I need to find someone. But obviously we'd just come out of a pandemic. So a lot of people couldn't afford to have the rent split. And it was just becoming a very stressful situation. But I was so fixed on staying in that flat. I was like, I've made this a home. This has got all my stuff in it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave. And so it was literally banging on this door that was not going to open. And then my friend Linz was moving from Leighton into Lisbon and she was living in this gorgeous old converted coach house in Leighton with a little garden, two beds and all this. Lovely. And it's like the stuff, a house of dreams that I would love to rent. And she was like, why don't you take over this? And I was like, well, yeah, but no, but I couldn't afford it. And she told me what the price was. And I was like, well, if she can do it for £200 cheaper, I could. And she was like, all right, I'll ask. And then she came back and she was like, well, yeah, she can do it for £200 cheaper. I was like, oh, well... But but none of my stuff will fit in here. Like, it won't work. Like, all my furniture won't fit in here, blah, blah, blah. And it was almost like, because I'd made this idea in my head of this is where I'm going to be and this is my home and I'm not going to change it. And I was like, I'm not ready to move. Anyone who's got the pro- knows the proximity in London of Clapton to Leighton will laugh because I was like, I'm not ready to move out there. Out there. How far is it? Ten minutes. Right. <laughs> in a car, if that. That you can now drive. Six. I, and I can now drive it. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, literally just moved to the other side of the marshes from where I used to live. <laughs> and I was like putting all these things, like these barriers. And then I just remember this one day I woke up and I went, what am I doing? I can sell all this furniture. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, this is your dream living situation. No one gets these opportunities in London. You can have a home, a two bed with a garden. For yourself, at a really reasonable rent because you're doing it through a friend of a friend. This doesn't ever happen. And the minute I asked a question about the about the um, rent being reduced, something cl- unlocked and then everything started falling into place around it. And it made me realise, like, I am so bad at standing in my own way because I have this idea of how things need to look or be or 
how it's going to work out when actually the universe literally handed me the solution mm. and I was still fighting it for so long. Um, but yeah, I really tried to sabotage that. Like it's mad when I think back now, I'm like, what were you doing? Did you, re- like even when you look back, it what, you didn't realise what you were doing clearly. I think I was just in a, I was like, similar to you, um, you were saying at the end of 2022, just where you were at. Mm. At the end of 2021, that was me. I was in a really bad, bad way. So I think actually... At the start of the year, I was still very much like, this is too much change. I, like, I can't cope, I think, right. with what it was. So it was almost like I was trying to protect myself mm-hmm. by sabotaging that situation when actually it was the thing that was better for me. Right. And obviously moving in on your own, moving in anywhere is stressful. Doing it on your own is really stressful. But it's been the best thing I've ever done. Like, I, I have never... It has a big part to play in where I'm at in my life now. I feel like how much calmer and content I am in my home life because... It it isn't up and down and everywhere. It's very balanced. And when I go home and shut the door and I'm with my dog, I can replenish properly. Mm-hmm. So, and I've never ever had that. So it has been amazing. And yeah, but it just blows my mind that I try to fuck that up for myself. <laughs> Do you think it was almost like a, a domino? So we've talked already at the top of the show about mm. this big change, not this mm. change. Like mm. you want to see the changes in you. You, you want to lean into a new era. Mm. This is your... I don't know, not Demi Moore mm. era. Yeah. <laughs> Demi Hoare era. <laughs> well, you've got the nails for it. I do. Um, so was that almost like the domino that let you see this isn't just about a new living situation, this is about a new era. And if I if I lean into this, mm-hmm. then I'm going to go where the wind takes me. Yeah. And it was really funny because all the things that I'd called in for myself, all the things that I'd sat down and really thought what what I would like for myself last year happened. And it happened because I just let go. And, you know, it was, you've got to think, I moved house in the end of March. And then we went into April and I was about to announce my charity number. Then Deb told us she was not going to have long left. So I spent most of the summer essentially waiting for my friend to die, which was horrific. So then I stopped doing much work because I I didn't know what was going to happen the next. I didn't want to take on a lot of commitment, you know, mm. understandably. But then it meant I wasn't earning. Mm. So I was like, I was at a point where I was putting food shop on my credit card. It was like that. Mm. Um, I wasn't able to do that kind of thing. I was really, normally uh, the way I react to emotional trauma is I do. So it gets where the burnout comes from. I throw myself into something, whether it be work, whether it be men, whether it be drink, do you know what I mean? Holidays, spending when I don't need to be spending. Do you know what I mean? Like I'll throw myself into a project. Like, oh, I'll spend all this money doing up the living room. What are you doing? No, you don't need to do that. So I didn't do that for the first time in my life because I'd, I'd realised the year before when I'd burnt out that that is what I do and it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time I just went, no, everything stops. I need to really just deal with this because this is huge. And in doing that, by the time, you know, We'd buried Deb and things were happening and I was able to really live in the grief. The back end of last year, there was loads of little changes I made that have made the greatest impact because I was so centred I could hear what I needed. It's like I changed my management, which is I'm so happy. Like I've made that decision. I've got Raymond, my dog. Mm. I started my driving lessons. Like all these little things I wanted for myself. I had the space to go, okay, now's the right time. Whereas before I would have tried to rush to do them all earlier in the year to overcompensate because I was in so much pain. Mm. Um, so it, it was a domino effect because I spent a lot of time just me at home dealing with the loss of someone I loved and the whole media storm that was around it 
and just allowing myself to exist rather than trying to do. Mm. And that was, I, I still can't believe I managed to do it because that's not my go-to. But it was the best thing ever because, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I definitely haven't dealt with losing my friend, but I I stopped myself from spiralling and I can't remember the last time I was able to do that. So that's positive. So I think the house was a bit of a domino in that respect that it gave me the space. It's interesting the the term you use or the way you described it of like um, you were so centred you could actually hear what you needed to do. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting for somebody who has talked about being creative mm. and needing all of this, like actually to mm. be still and be still and not frustrated or mm. looking for where to put the energy and actually sort of sending it inward. Well, it's because the answer is normally right in front of you. Mm. It's like if you're not happy, if you want this thing, like sit back a minute and just like take a breath. Like what do you need to do to make this better? And it, it's not that big a solution nine times out of ten. Mm. You know, I mean, I wasn't getting the work that I wanted and I wasn't quite happy with where my career was going. And I was like, well, I want something different now. I don't want to be cancer face. And so I was like, do you know what? Let me speak to some other people. And all it was was starting conversations. And then I met with the agency that I'm with now and I love and, and things are moving in the right direction. Mm. But it was that very centre thing. It wasn't going back to my old agency and being like, we need to be doing this, we need to be doing that. I just realised, I was like, I need something new because this mm. is a new phase. It was just, yeah, it's amazing. Like, I've never been able to hear myself that clearly before. But mm. and, and it wasn't it was just little decisions mm. that got me to where I needed to be in the end. I just trust the process. Yeah. And it's amazing when, what happens when you actually listen to yourself. When I knew that we were going to be having this conversation... And when I was thinking about all of the things that we could possibly talk mm. about, I was reminded of a conversation I had on the podcast in 2021 with a really amazing woman called Victoria Arlen. Mm. I don't know if you know who she is. She's an American sportscaster. Mm. And from the ages of about, I think it was 12 to 17, she had locked-in syndrome. What is locked-in syndrome? It's where you are completely and utterly aware of everything that's happening around you, but you can't communicate. You are. She was in a hospital bed. Oh, my goodness. Able, she I, yeah, she could open her eyes, she couldn't, but she couldn't like blink to communicate. That was, in the end, how she actually ended up being able to communicate with her mum. But anyway, what, what I was really struck by with that conversation was she is now thriving. Mm. I mean, she is doing, she always wanted to be a sports presenter. She is a sports presenter. She's doing incredible work. And yet every interview she does, people want to talk about five years where she spent locked. Do people want to talk about the fact that she's the girl who survived this locked-in syndrome? And so when you were just talking about then about um, not being cancer mm. face, it really made... That's why I mm. wanted to take this uh, direction with the podcast because actually there's always this kind of dragging back. Mm. So when you say that you're moving into a new era and you want change and it mm. has to be different... How is it different while still there being elements of the same thing? Because your charity is still going to continue yeah. and you're still going to do the work that yeah. you're doing. It's it's not about my trauma. It's mm. about my community and the needs of them. So the thing that bonds us is that we've all been through the same thing. Mm. Everyone has a very different cancer experience. No one has the same one. And what it's allowed me to do is take the passion 
that I feel inside and my lived experience, but use that as a catalyst to push forward for the community. Mm-hmm. So like being able to kind of put an arm around them. I One of my big skill sets I now know I have is I, I really feel like I'm good at communicating and I seem to have a way of bonding with people and that I love connecting people. So in that respect, it's like I can go into my charity and go to my community and speak to them about what's going on and be like, okay, so this needs to change. And then I can use my creative side to be like, okay, so this is how we could talk about it differently. Who wants to come on board with this? At the same time, making sure they're secure and they're safe and they're not like exploited for their stories and stuff because how would I feel? Mm. So it's no longer about my trauma. It's about giving the best of my skill set and my lived experience and my massive, massive privilege of a platform to help other people Mm. so I can separate it. So, you know, I've had it before with, you know, I I just did a Gemma Styles podcast the other day. It was really nice. And we talked about the same thing. And I was like, I'm just not going back and relieving the cancer stuff now. Like I'll say I have breast cancer, but we don't need to know the ins and outs of how Mm. that happened. You can find that anywhere. But I was saying to her that when Deborah was dying and all the amazing work she was doing and when she died... There was press that I did. There was also a lot of press that I didn't do. Mm-hmm. And the press that I did was stuff that I knew Deb really wanted to get out there. It was publications that I trusted and people that I trusted to talk to. Since Deb's death and when it's relevant, like I am now, I'll talk about my friend because it's still like very recent. Um, and it's my of my own accord. But there would have been a lot of interviews where I've seen the preliminary questions and they could be talking to me about the Estee Lauder breast cancer campaign I'm a proud ambassador for. And then in there, they'd want to start talking about Deb. I'm like, this is totally irrelevant. Mm. And it's that grief grabby thing. Mm. What's so nice is that I'm able to have boundaries now and be like, I don't have to talk about that. Like that is, that is something so painful still and raw. Why do you, like it's so clickbaity and grabby mm. and it's not actually, I will sing and, dance and gush about my friend to the cows come home i do that with my friends we do that with her family it's not for public consumption and it's i think that's the important thing now is actually going my trauma for so long it was the reason my people wanted to talk to me i felt Mm -hmm. and i've now become much more confident to go well i'm still Mm loza and if people don't want to hear from me anymore because i'm not talking about cancer fine i don't care like genuinely it will break my heart it's a hard thing because it's like you don't feel very worthy, but I know that's not who I am. So I'm Lauren. The reason why I've got to this point isn't because I had cancer, it's because I'm Lauren mm-hmm. and I've done what I've done with it. So therefore I need to give myself the space and the permission to say, I'm not going to keep going and live, reliving my trauma for anyone else now. I've d- given a lot of myself and now I'm just excited to do the cancer stuff, but on my terms and then see what else is out there because, you know, I've, it's been a long time I've been doing this and making mm-hmm. it prime priority. And I think I owe it to myself. I'm not doing any anyone that I've lost to cancer any justice by living in cancer because they would have done anything to not be in that situation. Mm. So that's that's where I've come to now. It's a really uh fine it's a it's a real tightrope, if you like, mm. of trying to go from what it was and what people wanted to talk about to a reinvention mm. where there's still crossover. Mm. Yeah. And it feels as though you have nailed the tone, which is mm. what what you do, isn't it? Like you're brilliant at well, like you know. <laughs> communication and you have but you have changed the tone of mm. how people, women with mm. breast cancer, I know breast cancer isn't just exclusive to women, mm. but 
you have completely changed the tone, mm. especially for the under 40s. Yeah, thank you. In how it's spoken about. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of the work we've done. Like, it's phenomenal and I'll always do it. I'll always do it. But there's so many other things. Like, I'm gobby and I know I was put on a, on this earth with this gob for a reason. It's like, <laughs> I've been through so much, just even outside of cancer. Like, we, I've I've had endometriosis in my past and there's all the, all the stuff around that. But I think it's just disgusting how fertility and women and reproductive mm. issues are treated. You know, mental health. There's so many other things. The rental crisis in London. Like, there's so many things I could, like use this gob for like that I want to talk about and I'm really excited to do that what's the, the what's the thing that you would like to use it for right now that maybe people aren't expecting that aren't expecting mm. I kind of so I'm really I mean I might be expecting this but maybe not so I really am trying my best to get something over the line that means that if you show up to your GP a certain amount of times within a certain amount of time you have to be sent for cancer diagnostics so that's something i'm really trying to campaign for and potentially get a policy policy change around because we're losing a lot of young people to cancer because they're not being taken seriously oh so explain that to me again so people uh if you turn up to a gp appointment yeah with a concern about something with a concern for your health mm -hmm. and it's a persistent symptom and you show up just say within like a six month period and you've shown up two or three or four times with the same issue, you need to be sent for diagnostics. Rather like, than being fobbed off. Rather than be told, oh, it's probably this, it's probably that. No, rule out the worst thing. Rule out the thing that's going to kill someone and work backwards from there. And the thing is, this isn't a GP issue. Like this isn't them being rubbish. I think it's the strain of the system mm -hmm. on them. They've got 10 minutes with people, man. It's not enough. And there's like, it's something I feel really passionately about at the moment because I just think there's a lot of quick wins and the only thing that makes it not a quick win is the red tape and the bureaucracy and the systems. It's annoying. But I won't stop kicking and screaming until something changes because otherwise we're going to be losing more and more people. How are you putting yourself in the rooms or getting yourself in front of the people where you saying that will actually imp impact policy change? Because I have people. I know people and will get me in the rooms. I'm very lucky that I've got like people around me who have actually gone and changed policy for different things. Or, you know, I've I've been to the Houses of Parliament through work before. Mm. And, you know, I've I've got friends who work with the higher ups of the NHS. So I know if I need to get something under their noses, I'm lucky enough now that I've done so much work in the arena that I will be able to access those people, hopefully. Mm. And the thing is with me, right? Again, I'm going to star signs. I'm a Taurian. So everyone says they're stubborn. I realise that my stubbornness shows up in determination and grit. Like mm -hmm. if I say that I want to make something happen, best believe I will give everything I've got to try and make that happen. So the only way I've, the only thing that would ever stand in my way is my gob. So I've probably got to learn to like not go in all guns blazing to Mr. Rishi Sunak or something and just like give him what for but like have to be clever around the way I word things but but the thing is is I can't even if you went in and were like oi Sunak <laughs> yeah, I, which th is likely <laughs> I still think that you would be able to get away with that I think I'm a little bit of the Kathy Burke of you cancer <laughs> <laughs> don't you think I do it? I love Kathy Burke. Me too. She is honestly iconic. She's like one of my favourite people in the world. Do but, you know her? No, but uh, there is a tedious link. Well, not, it's quite close actually. One of my good friends, 
stepmama is really good friends with Catherine. Okay, you just need to make that happen. I You two need to do a podcast. Leave it with me, hun. I'm working on something. <laughs> Use your grit and determination to make that happen. It's, it's going to happen. But I don't think that you would rub someone up the wrong way. I just, I do mm. think that is a magic that you have about you is that you can be direct, but you never, you can be direct with people and show them where maybe they are, are going wrong, but not in a way that belittles them or makes them feel stupid. And I yeah. think that is a massive skill. Thanks, mate. I think I could challenge people. But uh, yeah, again, it's that whole thing of like, I've done the talking about my experiences now now I want to make change for people like now I want to make sure that all of this regurgitating the trauma all of this hard work all of this burying my friends is going to result in something happening that could save lives and could make a real difference to people for the future otherwise it's like what's it all been for mm. do you know what I mean I do I do okay now, I asked you to tell me what your biggest challenge is, and you said it was finding balance. Mm. And I know that we've talked about that a little bit, mm. but I just want to, if you wouldn't mind, for listeners' benefit, really kind of plot the the path that you took to find that balance, because it's evident from speaking to you that you have gone from a place where maybe there was mental chaos yes, to where now there is mental and emotional calm. Yes. And... I think offering people the breadcrumbs to be able to follow the path to their own yeah. mental and emotional calm is a real gift. So if you were sharing advice to anybody on how they can find mm. that sense of peace, what would you say the component parts of that work are? I feel like I always tried to find the balance. I feel like I always was like, oh, well, I'm doing this bit of work over here and I'm going to go over here and make sure I'm rested or I'm going to take this holiday. But then what I do in the lead up to the holiday is plan the holiday so much. Actually, I didn't get any rest. Mm -hmm. And then I felt stressed on the holiday. And like then I felt like I need to be creating content on the holiday. And da -da -da. like I just never, ever stopped. I think the catalyst for me was I've been through a lot of loss during my recovery. Mm. My way of coping with anything that happens emotionally that's heavy is to do. And I would ping pong between massive highs, massive lows, massive highs, massive lows. And I'd always go and speak to my GP and I'd be like, I'm not well. I Like I literally do talking therapies. I've been in talking therapies and stuff most of my adult life, even before cancer. So it's like I know the things I need to do to get myself well. The issue is... There is nothing you can do to get yourself well if you're mentally ill. No amount of bubble baths, no amount of yoga, no amount of stopping drinking, no amount of meditation, no amount, you know, if it's a mental illness, mm -hmm. nothing will make it better. And one thing I pride myself on is that I really, really work on myself and I really, really try and make myself well. And then the middle of last year, I think it was like just, not last year, sorry, the year before, um, it was around the time my friend Hattie died, which is like the September. And I I went, I went south pretty quickly and I was really struggling day to day. And I went to my GP and I said, I don't know what to do. Like nothing's working. Like I went sober, everything. And I was like, something's got to give. There was no magic cure. Mm. And I said to my GP, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I need help. I need psychiatric diagnostics. I need something. And she said to me, okay, well, we'll put you forward for psychiatric diagnostics. Do you want to go into medication? I said, I will only take medication if I get psychiatric diagnostics. Mm -hmm. So she's like, okay, I've been in that therapy for years. I've been in that diagnostics for years. I've always known that 
I've had severe anxiety, depression, but there was just another layer. There has been for years, but it was getting so loud now that I couldn't like even begin to like explain it. I was like, this is so much bigger than me. Like, I feel like I was losing my mind. Um, and so I went on, I took this medication, like took it with me, I mean, and I put it in my drawer and I didn't touch it. Because even though I had it, I was convinced I could make myself well. I convinced it was me. I convinced if I could just do this, if I could just manage this, if I could just get on top of this, it was like ridiculous to the point where at the end of 2021, I had a proper like breakdown, breakdown. What I now I was a little bit of psychosis. I was convincing myself things were, were happening behind my back. People were saying things about me that they weren't. But like convinced. Mm. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. My heart, when I think back to my heart rate, I was probably like pan in panic, like fight or flight yeah. constantly for about three or four weeks. Yeah. It was horrific. It was just a very heightened state of stress. But it was it was cumulative. It had been years of this building up mm. to it. And I remember ringing my mum and just saying to my mum, I like I'm I like I'm not okay. Like I don't know what's going on with me. I need help. Like what the hell? And she was like, You've had tablets in your drawer for four months go and take one pack your bag and come home mm -hmm. so that's what I did and to be honest with you for me the medication was the catalyst for what I'm going through now because because I started taking the meds by the time it got to March April last year and I just moved into my house they'd kicked in mm. and I was able to hear myself for the first time and I think I can ever remember so when stuff happened with Deborah, and you know, the house moving stuff, even though it was stressful, I was still able to maintain a sense of self and go, you cannot do the thing that you've always done where you throw yourself into things because you are going to end up where you were at Christmas. And when I tell you that's terrified me mm -hmm. and it wasn't because I thought I would hurt myself or anything. It's just because I had no control over my, like my head was not mine. It wasn't on my body. I don't know mm -hmm. whose head that was. So that's what scared me. I was scared that I would inadvertently hurt myself. Um, because I just wasn't taking care of myself and I was like not rational. So I was more scared of that happening again that I then just went, I'm not doing it. Mm. And then over the space of a year, like, I had my psychiatric diagnostics, like there's still things that were working out with me, but there it, loads of things that are coming up now that make perfect sense. And it's hard at 38 to go, I'm finally getting the support I need for my brain. But then like, and like you feel a bit sad for that person that's been trying to pull themselves out of the rubble for so many years on their own. But I would, I don't want to make the listeners think that there was some magic order to what happened because it wasn't. It was a case of me going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, the same pattern, the same pattern to the point where I broke for me to actually understand I was mentally ill, not mentally unhealthy. Right. That I needed proper medicine mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm okay. And I may be on it for the rest of my life, I may not, but I don't care because I've never, ever, I still feel, I'm still Loza, but I am a much calmer person. And as a result, my, everything in my life's better. And it's been that, it's been that kind of process for me. It's made me this way. There's not been, like I say, like a breadcrumby thing. Mm. It's literally been hitting your ass on the rock bottom and then going, oh, okay. The rock bottom thing is so true and it's so... um it is when you just said that about it terrified me. It just made me, it took me back to my mm. own stuff. Mm. And you do, it does linger in the back of your mind. Mm. It gets a bit quieter. Yeah. But the, but every now and again when you feel... Overwhelmed. 
Yeah, yeah. For me, I was trying to explain it to someone the other day and it's like the reason why sometimes I shut myself off and the reason why I sometimes do X, Y, and Z, mm. which might look weird to mm. you, but it's a coping mechanism to me is because, and I don't know if you feel like this, I know the color, the shape, and the taste mm. of the darkness. Mm -hmm. And if I can see it in my peripheral vision or in the distance, mm -hmm. it's, I have to, I have to stop. Yeah. I have to just completely now like wrap myself in cotton wool and like kind of go, okay, how, how do we keep this at bay? What do I need to do right now? And everything has, else has to just stop for a while. Mm. Um, and I do, I think that for me now, it's the fear of getting that bad ever again. Mm. Mm. And I will never allow that to happen. So as much as the, and but I do think the medication has allowed me to have a bit more clarity and calmness in my brain that I can hear myself saying that rather than being in this manic cycle of going, oh my God, blah, blah, and not being able to hear yourself mm. think. Now it's like my instant response is always going to be the same thing like oh I must do this but then my brain goes to me pal we've been here before what are you doing <laughs> I can actually hear myself saying that now so I never did before that's amazing yeah um also just for any listeners who might benefit from mm -hmm. this I find walking oh babe the dog has been the dream as well <laughs> come on let's not lie like living on my own and having a dog like I get up in the morning I talk to someone else I'm out of my head I'm mm. in straight into mum mode what do you need what's wrong did you have a nice sleep oh cuddle cuddle oh let's make some food let's go for a walk like he, I think prioritizing someone else's well-being has been a game changer for me as well well I suppose that probably leads us on it would be remiss of me not to bring this up of like being single and oh, yeah. all of this single lady right yeah, here single lady me. right there yeah so again I sometimes don't I've definitely got into the position now where I just don't ask for help yeah and I know that's something I need to work on because I think as you get older mm. as well you realize that all of your friends that you previously would have asked mm. for help have got commitments children or yeah. partners or whatever and you feel like you're you don't want to be that awful burden mm. um obviously family is different mm. you can ask your family for help but do you think that being single has played a part in any of this or made it feel worse yeah, at times? No, I think it's definitely, there is no way on God's green and luscious earth that I could have had a partner when I've been going through what I've been going through the last five years. I was not in a stable place. I, I didn't know who I was. Mm. So there is no way, as much as it felt like sometimes, you know, it, there were big moments where I'd cry and be like, I just want my person because I just need someone to take off the load for, for a while. Jesus, take the wheel. Exactly that. Mm. It's like, I just need someone to do something for me. Like if I've been grafting and working my bum off and like trying to get something done for girl versus cancer and it's 11 o'clock and I still haven't eaten and I haven't showered and blah, blah, blah. But now it's like, I'm like, I never let myself get to that point. Mm. So I don't need anyone. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I don't need anyone to come in and cook me a dinner. That's a lovely thing for someone to do. But I've made sure that no matter what, I'm down in tools at eight o'clock because I've got to eat and mm -hmm. I've got to make sure I get a good night's sleep so I'll be good to no one mm -hmm. because I can hear myself and I know that's what I need and I'll refuse to let myself burn out again. So it's it's been in those moments of darkness, yeah, I did want someone to come and help me. But actually I'm like, I really, really value my solitude mm. and do I want to share this amazing life that I find myself living and all these amazing experiences I have with someone? hundred percent. Someone has to be the right one, mm -hmm. not just anybody. And I've created such a lovely life for myself that I'm so proud of. Mm. And I'm so happy. And for the first time in my life, I'm so content. I've got an abundance of non-romantic love. I always say like, I've got all of this, like 
my amazing friends, my family, I've got my health, I've got my career, like I've got my life, which I know how lucky we are to be here and how lucky I am to still be here. I am not going to compromise that for anyone who doesn't make me feel that I'm safe to do so. Mm. So therefore, no. So I'm very open to meeting people, but I just, yeah, my patience for mediocre at best men is is non-existent <laughs> anymore. But what I am doing, have you heard of this app called Field? I have not. Do tell. Okay, so Field is an app. It's kind of like Grinder for heterosexuals and people of all persuasions. But basically, it's more of a hookup app oh. than a dating app. Oh. So it's been good because I was like, I was like, I've been off the apps for a couple of years, hate them. They just never make me feel good. Mm. And I've got a very finite amount of energy to give out to the world. So I'm not spending it on people who I've never met energetically, right? Yeah. So, but then loads of my mates who are very much like me were started going on field. They're having a great time. They're like, having really great sex, meeting these really great men. I was like, well, I need a bit of that because I haven't had sex for a year. And that's ridiculous. And I just went, right, I'll go on it. And I am loving it because I'm not saying I'm sleeping with loads of men because I'm not. But a couple... It's been all right. I'm not going to say it's been wonderful, but it's been all right. Um, but I'm speaking to a lot of men. And for the first time in my life, because I'm not on that app looking for a relationship, mm. I am just enjoying talking to so many different types of blokes, meeting up for drinks with different types of blokes. Blokes I would never have swiped on on one of the other apps. Mm. Because in my head, I'm like, I don't want to marry you. I'm not looking at him going, oh, he's marryable. I'm looking at him going, is he fuckable? <laughs> yes. Therefore, let's go for a drink. And it's just simplified things. And I feel this lightness and this freedom and this excitement and this confidence that I've never had because I'm not, I don't care. Mm. It's amazing. Get on it. I'm setting you up when we go for dinner after. I'm putting you on I, the app. I already <laughs> know that app would not suit me. I honestly, I, I know myself too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I always give it, sorry, I love to kick you then. Boof. <laughs> no, you will change your mind. You will go on that app. Um, for me, it's like, I... I feel good about it, but I've also been very clear on there that like if lightning strikes and I meet someone I like, like I'm open to something more. Mm -hmm. And I think if I realised that was that was happening, because I know with the guys I've met so far, that's not the case yeah. at all. But if I met someone and that's like, that's happening, I would be very clear. I'd be like, I don't think this is just going to be a shag for me. Mm -hmm. I think I could quite like you. If you're not open, let's just call it now. Yeah. Protect, protect your heart. Yeah, exactly. Um, our time together is drawing to a close, which is bad oh. and wrong. So I'm going to ask you, because I do think this is, again, a bit like the risk question right at the top mm. of the show. I think one of the questions that really uh, tells a lot about guests mm. is like, tell me about a time when you were wrong. And I love the fact that you were like, oh my God, so many times. <laughs> I'm always wrong about things. It's like, you know, you can make mistakes about things or you can make a wrong decision or you can have a perception about a situation that you're convinced is right. And actually, in hindsight, you were wrong. Mm. And, you know, there's so many, you know, there's none that I can really sit back and go, yeah, I was really wrong for doing that. Like, there's a lot of them. But I think I'm not afraid of being wrong. Like... Mm. I actually really like being challenged and I like that I'm evolving as a human all the time. And I like that something that I thought I was so in the right about. I can look back at like six months later and go, what was I doing? Mm. What was I thinking? Do you know what I mean? So I don't really have like this. Actually, I do know a time I was wrong by thinking I could 
bubble baths would make me mentally well. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you said that because that when you said that earlier, that yeah. is one of my biggest bugbears. And I've worked in the beauty industry, as mm. you know, for two decades. And one of my, one of the things that makes me, there are actually quite a few things now when mm. I think about it, but one of the things that makes me angriest is this idea that we exploit people's mental health yes. and tell them that a beauty product mm. that foams, melts mm. or fizzles will in some way offer them relief to the symptoms of depression, anxiety, no. OCD is so... It's not even unhelpful. I believe it to be dangerous. I believe and it's, I, it's offensive to me. Yeah, me too. Like that's why as well when you ask me like the breadcrumbs and I do it with a lot of other things as well. Like people say, oh, like, how do you find balance? And I'm like, well, I take medication. Mm. And then because of the medication, I am then able to make decisions that are right for me. Yeah. Like going for walks. Like, oh, I know I need to move my body today. Like I'm going to cook healthy meals for myself because I feel that I really need it. I need yeah. to nourish myself. That wasn't happening when I was on the meds. Mm. So I will never make out like it was. Do you know what I mean? Like, who doesn't love lighting, lighting a candle, babe, and getting a bubble bath? It's not going to make me well, though. Stop taking those tablets. I'll be off my rocker. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but, I think, but I think that is a breadcrumb because for some people, actually going to the GP mm. is something that they're not willing... It, it's a... a it's a threshold they're not willing to mm. step over. And actually by you saying that, yeah. it might not seem like a breadcrumb, but yeah. it might be the thing that empowers somebody tomorrow yeah. to... Yeah. It's like when I talk about alopecia, yeah. the amount of people who say, I've been really scared to call the trichologist, but I yeah. called them because yeah. like, that's yeah, no, empowering. I, I do feel like, you know, when it does, just to be said, like when it does come to mental health, I'm a very big advocate of someone to go, go and get talking therapies first so you mm. know what you're dealing with. Because I think a lot of people can use medication to mask what's going on. Yeah. I got to a point where I couldn't talk about what had gone on with me anymore because I'd laid it all bare yeah. and it had been years of chat. Um, and I knew it was the right next step. Um, but if you are feeling overwhelmed, I just would highly recommend getting some talking therapy in. That's really interesting. I've done talking therapy as well and I found it really confronting to yeah. say a lot of it out loud I hadn't thought about this Lauren the fact that you did your talking mm. therapy I guess some of the stuff that you would have said in talking therapy was stuff that you would have said in interviews 100% and so what happens when you do a lot of interviews is that you tend to start saying things by rote like you, you they almost oh, come out like a script yeah but that's your but it stops trauma. it stops being a starts being a story you tell yeah you stop having the emotional attachment to it. So is it helpful or unhelpful? Unhelpful in a way because then it numbs you to the experience. And actually what you need to do is process the experience and heal from the experience. So if you're just like spitting it verbatim time and time again, mm. you don't actually see it for the weight that it carries. Right. So like I did a podcast just before Christmas and I didn't know it was going to be all about my cancer. I thought it was going to be like fun and frivolous. And then the same questions came up. And as I was talking about, I could feel myself like this thing at the back of my eyes and I was like I don't want to do this anymore like I'm not doing this anymore like I haven't talked about stuff like this for so long and it's like it's 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 lazy it's lazy journalism to ask me to talk about that mm. because I've said it a thousand times and also it just felt like a very big hard I could feel it in myself that's a massive no mm. coming from within me I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to keep revisiting that point. Whereas when you're constantly doing it back to back, you don't even think about it. Mm. But then it's damaging because you're not processing it. You are non-confrontational, I think. Me, really? I don't think I'm aggressively confrontational. Yes. I think I would say 
I, I, I really struggle to have bad feeling or something inside me that makes me feel uncomfortable. So I will always raise things. It doesn't necessarily even have to be an issue. It could be a question. It could be anything. Mm. So I think it could be direct. But Yes, you're, you're right. I'm just wondering if you were in that position again, would you stand up and end the interview? Like, I don't know. I don't ever stand up and end the interview. I think what I'm very lucky is now is I have a team around me mm. that under no circumstance will allow anyone to go and they won't push me into doing things because it would be good for like profile or whatever. Like mm. literally if I'm like, I'm not answering that kind of question, they'll be like, okay, cool. Yeah. And it's taken out. And even like, you know, so half the time I know things get to me and they're like, oh, they had a couple of things in there, but we told them to remove it. So I feel like I've got a good support network around me as well now where they know where I'm at mentally. And I just feel like a lot as well, a lot of me being where I am mentally now is because of these boundaries I've made. I was about to say, it yeah. sounds like they can only be the team that you need because you have unapologetically said, this is my yes mm. area and this is my no area. Do you know what I keep using as an example? It's Katie Piper. I'm, I love Katie mm. a lot. She's been a really, she's had given me some great advice over the last couple of years. And when I look at her, to me, she is the benchmark. She is a woman who was a victim of domestic abuse. She's a victim of an acid attack. She is all of these amazing things. That's how she started. Mm. She runs a charity. That's how she started. Katie Piper, to me, is an author. Mm. She's a mother. She's a loose woman. She's a Pantem Pro V ambassador. Mm. She is a gorgeous human being, a style icon, and just a really genuinely nice person. She isn't that anymore. And that, to me, is the vibe. Like, mm -hmm. she said it to me a while ago, and I've credited her in a lot um, of this lately, but I hope she hears it. She said to me, you know, you're the hope for people. You are showing people there's a life beyond cancer or you can live a good life with cancer, right? She said, but if you don't move beyond it, then you're not reaping what you, mm. like, what is it? Walking the talk. Yeah, you're not walking the talk. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I was like, oh God, you're right. And by putting those boundaries in place, I find I feel freer. Mm. And I feel like I'm going to be a better advocate and I'm also going to be a better person in my life to the people that love me because... I'm living in my truth. And I, you know, just because I've got cancer once doesn't mean I have to be it all the time. No one would go into an interview with Katie Piper now and talk to her about an acid attack. They wouldn't dare. No. Do you know what I mean? So mm. say, that's kind of where I, when I see how I want this to go in my head, I'm not saying I want to be Katie Piper, but what I'm saying is in terms of that boundary level, I really respect what she's done. And also how something that could be defining doesn't have to be defining forever. Yeah. It can be a part of the story. Yeah, and like Katie still talks about the surgery she's still having in that, but it's an aside. Mm. You know, it's like, yeah, so I'm having this. Like, it, it's not something that defines her. And that's why when people, you know, in the past have made me feel like I have to be doing certain things to be taken seriously or I have to do certain things so I am in demand or, you know, I'm relevant, it's like... I'd rather not do any of that. And actually my gut was right because Katie doesn't. Do you know what I mean? I just always think that I'm like, yeah. Katie doesn't do it. <laughs> I suppose the question on which I end is like, what makes you hopeful about the future? And I know that I know that you adore your niece and nephew. Yay. And I know that you mentioned them when we spoke about this before. But actually, I feel really hopeful for what's ahead of you. Oh, mate, thank you. That that's but it's not my it's not yeah. my question to answer. But based on everything that we've just discussed, um, 
do you feel that like you're I'm excited but the anxious part of my brain is going don't get too excited because the rug's gonna get pulled I'm going I'm getting on a plane to Scotland on Friday mm-hmm. and I'm, t- I'm scared the plane's gonna crash because I'm ha- I feel happy so I'm scared that because I'm happy the plane's gonna crash oh my gosh yeah but I talk about this out loud because mm. it helps me to process that it's an anxious thought in my brain because it's mu- the harder they come the harder they fall they say right but I'm also trying very much to live in the present and in the happy mm. and the feelings that I feel because it has, I've been living in a lot of darkness for a long time. Yeah. So, but I am really excited for the future. And again, I'm trying not to have any attachment to what that is. I just feel like if I keep making the right decisions, it's going to, like for me, it's going to work out nicely. Sounds like you're tethered to the earth mm. and you're so solidly rooted in who you mm. are now that when things come your way, they're mm. going to be, you're going to know instinctively. Yes. And I you're hope not so. going to have to dilly or dally or think, is this right for me? Do I need to check in with someone else? There's a sense, and I can really feel mm. it as well since I mm. last saw you. Yeah. There's a real sense of um, stability. There's something quite mm. solid about how you're. Yeah. You seem like I, it's so weird. It's the weird, it's the nicest feeling, but it's the weirdest feeling because this wasn't me last year. Like beginning this time last year, I was not this woman. Mm. I'm still me. I just there's a. I feel I do genuinely feel like I've shed a skin. I don't feel like a cancer recovery anymore. I feel like Lauren, and I'm really excited to discover what that means for me now. And I'm happy. I am so excited to watch this discovery. It's gonna be fun. I'm going to end this podcast by saying to you what you always say to me whenever I say goodbye to you, and that's I love you. I love you too. Love you, babe. Love you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.